0: Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Genevieve Anderson. Genevieve is a financial wellness coach who spent over a decade working in financial services, including banking and investments. She uses that experience, along with her personal experience, to help women increase their financial knowledge, take action towards their specific money goals, and become more confident investors. On her Instagram account, she shares easy to use wealth building tips and creates a judgment free zone where anyone can share their experiences around money. She also prioritizes well being every step of the way and 100% believes that wealth is simply the ability to fully experience life. In the episode, Genevieve shares common investment mistakes a lot of us are making her thoughts on things like MLMs, 401ks, REITs, and ETFs, sustainable budgeting tips, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a minute to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. Speaking of budgeting, I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of money at the grocery store and a lot of time grocery shopping as well, That is, until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your doorstep, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I can save up to $20 per order, sometimes even more. And I'm able to place every Thrive order from the comfort of my couch via their website or app. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, If you've been yo yo dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long term, I'm so happy you're hearing this right now. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, eating clean 24 7, or other unfun extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that only provide short term results, and typically suck the joy out of life, I help you make evidence-based, sustainable habit changes and mindset shifts so you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. Learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Genevieve. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Genevieve. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: We were just talking that you are based in New Orleans, one of my favorite places to travel. That's (laughs) lucky. Are you from there originally?
1: No, we moved here. Funny enough, I moved here for work around two years ago. And of course, now I work remote. Oh, right. <laughs> but um, we love it here so much. So we're definitely going to stay here a few more years. Um, We were, you know, sad to miss Mardi Gras last mm. year. So we got to stay at least for a few more Mardi Gras.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Such a great place to visit. And I'm sure to live as well, just, I am always envious of people who are born in a place that's really cool, and then kind of all of their family is based around there, and they get to live there forever, um, like, I didn't feel that way about my hometown, I'm from Arizona, <laughs> but uh, it's, I think, like, people who are, you know, born and raised in a place like New Orleans or New York City, like, that's a cool, oh. that's a cool thing to happen.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in a small town in Florida, so, oh. <laughs> It's still it's lovely to go back. It's um, very rural, but this city is definitely full of so much life and so much culture, and yeah, it's definitely a joy to be here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to dive into finances. I love talking about all aspects of health and wellness, and sometimes things that may fall outside of the scope of what people typically think about. So I talk to people about organization or, you know, random topics that may not seem connected, but I know you call yourself or your Instagram holistic personal finance, and you have this same idea that it's kind of all intertwined. Why do you add that holistic piece? Like, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of taken that approach to finance and I've been in this industry for a really long time. And when I work with clients, I really do kind of go from top to bottom, right? So I don't like just looking at investing or just looking at saving or just looking at a budget. It really is about how everything works together. Um, I always think of kind of like that image of two wheels, like moving in together, like it all has to work, otherwise you're going to kind of get stuck somewhere. So. Yeah. Um, with my clients, I talk about insurance on my, you know, on my Instagram page, I create content about money mindset and health and wellness and how it all really works together. It's not, you know, in separate silos, everything kind of gels together.
0: Hmm. Yeah, really cool, really cool approach. And just for everybody listening, your Instagram is such a wealth of knowledge. We'll share your handle in the show notes. Uh, so, people can easily click through. But thank you. I mean, I was looking at it just to get ideas for things to ask you. And we could probably talk for five hours based on your content there. <laughs> so, really, you know, some Instagram accounts are ones that you really gravitate to because you're always learning something. And I definitely feel like yours is one of those. It's kind of a island in a, I don't know, sea of stuff that's sometimes not that useful
1: on social media. I I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's definitely, um, it's a fun, fun place to be and a fun place to create content that hopefully is um, easy to digest.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, what led you actually to become a finance coach in the first place?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I've, have around 10, 11-ish, maybe a little bit more uh, years in the financial services industry. I started out in banking. I've done investment banking and retirement planning and a little bit of wealth management. And I recently moved more um, kind of, I work now as an analyst um, for a financial services firm. And I work more in the interior of you know, of that firm. So I don't get that customer facing, um, uh, experience like I used to have. And I really specifically last year, I think during the pandemic, when we were all maybe craving a little bit more, uh Face to face interaction, or maybe just a little bit more interaction with folks. I really miss that. And I miss that one on one with folks and building that relationship and watching them succeed and watching them kind of go through the process and get some of those aha moments. So I really just started coaching with um, friends and family at first, and it it kind of just grew organically. And I really love it. It's a whole different side to money that I don't get to see in my everyday uh, day job there.
0: Mm, yeah. What is the difference? So I know you call yourself a finance coach. What's the difference yeah. between a finance coach and a financial planner?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, What I did before was a little bit more of financial planning where, you know, you act as a consultant. So you come in with a problem and I'm going to lay out the steps and kind of slide you a piece of paper and be like, okay. Here's your plan. It's up to you. Go get them. <laughs> you know? Um, as a coach, it's very different. I almost think of it, I use a lot of skills that I've developed through managing people as a coach. So instead of me really giving you the step by step direction, it's about me helping you to find what is going to work for you. And I yeah. find that that's, I don't know, it's just. So much more rewarding because when people, um, when anybody, when you're coming up with a plan and you're invested, you are more likely to stick to it,
0: mm-hmm. and so
1: it becomes much more of an effective approach sometimes than going to somebody. They're going to tell you exactly what to do, and you're going to kind of be like, "And eh, do I want to do that? I don't know." <laughs> you know, when you're coming up with the plan yourself, you're you get a little bit more excited for it, and you're more likely to follow through.
0: It's funny because as you're talking about this, it directly mirrors the coaching that I do with clients for nutrition versus maybe somebody just giving you a meal plan or you following the strict rules of a diet and it's all listed out for you. When you're in a coaching relationship, it's more kind of co-creating long-term and short-term goals and seeing what's working, tweaking what's not working just this constant reassessment. And I agree, it's so much more rewarding, I think, for the client. And it also doesn't require the person to completely overhaul their lifestyle or habits. It's kind of, how can we work with what you're already doing and what your strengths are? And how can we kind of build on those versus just take this and figure it out and good luck type of thing?
1: Exactly. And just like health, I mean, finance is so personal. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I may have a client that comes and she says, you know, I'm kind of okay with this rolling debt that I have. I really want to focus on retirement. And I might have somebody on the total opposite end that's like, oh my gosh, this, you know, credit card bill or this loan, even though it's a low interest rate, stressing me out and I need to get it gone like ASAP. So Mm -hmm. people are so different um, that it's really hard to pick some sort of like one-size-fits-all plan for everyone. It really is just so individual. Um, and I think just another quick difference sometimes between a financial planner and a, and a coach is that – and this is rewarding for me too is because when I did work in more of a planning capacity, um, you are very limited sometimes on clients that you can take mm. um, based on the asset size, right, of their portfolio. And I don't have that issue anymore, you know, because I'm, I'm not being – graded on any sort of how, how much somebody has, it's really about the results. So that's kind of another difference that people might see if you're out and about there.
0: Who then generally hires you? Do you predominantly work with women or only women and kind of what type of person seeks you out?
1: Yeah, I primarily work with women who are going through some changes in life. So that could be starting a business, um buying or selling a home, uh getting in or out of a relationship. So when things change, that generally ignites, you know, a change in your finances. When you have maybe doing a big move, that could be another example. Um And when you have those big changes in life, you realize, okay, now's a great opportunity to start over, to start afresh, to start new, and, like, let's get it right this time. Mm -hmm. Um, I also sometimes work with couples, but generally women um, and generally, you know, a a few couples here and there
0: when I was looking up, I always kind of like to do my own research and learn about things before interviewing a guest. And I kept coming across this question on a lot of websites that said, be sure to ask your financial coach or financial planner in advance, what's their investment philosophy? And I don't have, I mean, do you have one of those as a coach or should I have one of those as a person? (laughs) Like I you don't know, know what that means <laughs> my
1: philosophy, I'll give you I guess a couple of like key points that I try to teach people. One is going to be start early, right? Mm. Time is your friend when it comes to compound interest, so definitely start early, stay consistent, even if it's small amounts. So a lot of people might delay investing because they think, "Oh well, I only have you know twenty five dollars a week. What's that really going to do Eh is it really worth it? Maybe I'll just save it all up and then invest a larger lump sum or something like that. Go ahead and start early and stay consistent. So even if you are just investing $25 a week, that's cool because you're going to learn a whole bunch of really good investing habits, like staying invested, how the platform works, what type of investments you feel are going to be right for you. uh, Researching, looking at fees and looking at expense ratios, you're going to gain all of those skills before you go ahead and maybe, maybe, you know, then maybe when you get a raise or something like that, you can increase those contributions, but you'll already have those good skills started. So start early, stay consistent, stay invested. Um, those are really, you know, the pillars of the of the philosophy.
0: You mentioned consistency. And I know I have investments in a lot of ETFs. um, But then sometimes if the stock market goes up, I feel like maybe I should not invest at that point because I should wait for it to dip. Is that a myth? Should we just constantly invest no matter what the stock market's doing?
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, and actually, um, you can, I'm doing a couple of different posts on this coming up, so stay tuned. Um, but that particular staying invest, or excuse me, consistent investments, um, it's a different strategy. It's called dollar cost averaging. So mm-hmm. basically, the idea is that, let's say I'm buying um, a specific ETF or index fund, um. I'm putting in twenty five dollars every week. We'll just stay with that example. The idea is that the market is going to go up and down. So sometimes maybe I'm paying ten dollars a share. Sometimes I'm paying eight. Some weeks I'm gonna pay twelve. But overall my average cost is more likely to come out lower than if you kind of like waited and tried to pace it out.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Because all yeah. I mean, nobody knows.
1: What's Nobody really knows. Happen, right? yeah. yeah. And what, hap- what happens is people will miss it. You think mm-hmm. you know. So you mm-hmm. think, you know, you think you know, or you're going to wait. And then as you're waiting to invest, you're also missing out on appreciation of, you know, different stocks that are maybe within that index fund. You're missing out on dividend payments that are maybe being made within that fund. So you're missing out on still some of that growth when you wait.
0: And you said stay invested. So I'm guessing that means when the market dips a lot and everybody's pulling out their money, you just keep yours in for a long time.
1: Yes. So, um, you know, what happens usually is your best days in the market are followed very closely behind the worst days. Hmm. So what sometimes will happen is people will see a really big dip or a really big nosedive. Maybe you get that little feeling of anxiety, so you pull out. And then when do you go back in? You're normally going to go back in after the best day. So you're going to miss out on all of that growth. Um, because we don't really know, so we, you know, so the best day passes, and you're like, oh, I guess it's time to go back in now, and you go back in, and you kind of miss out on all the growth. So, um, it one, it's really hard to predict. Two, when you add in the element of kind of like human emotion, of being, you know, maybe nervous or having lots of misconceptions. Um, it becomes even harder to time. So, no use timing the market. Go ahead and I, I love a dollar cost averaging strategy, keeps you consistent. You're not worried about the price. If the price goes up, if the price goes down, these are funds that you're putting away likely for much further in the future, you know, maybe 10, 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. So we don't wanna it kind of gets you to be not as concerned about the price, more concerned about making sure what you're buying is quality. Um, mm-hmm. and knowing that you're you're investing for a very long period of time. Um, you know, so so it's just not as concerning for you right now.
0: I do remember seeing something, I think though, correct me if I'm wrong, where you said take a look at your investments at least once a year or maybe just every year or so. And then when you take a look at them, are you looking for certain things to know which ones to sell and which ones to buy more of?
1: Yeah. So let's say I always, um, advise people if you have it available to you to start investing in your 401k first, it's a great place to, um, get exposure to the market. It's easy to set up. It's automatic. You're automatically doing that dollar cost averaging strategy, which is great. It comes straight out of your paycheck. So you don't even have to think about it. Um, it's tax advantage. So all just all of the things I love, I could go on, we could do a whole thing on (laughs) 401k. Um, but the idea there is that you don't want to necessarily you know, I know a lot of people say, oh, set it and forget it. You know, I think that's a little bit of an oversimplified approach. I definitely would encourage people to go once a year, peek under the hood of that investment, make sure everything's lining up. I would look for fees is the number one thing, making sure that the, um, the funds that you are investing in are not overcharging you, that they have a reasonable fee to them. You, that's also called um, the expense ratios or not, excuse me, not the expense ratio. The, um, oh my gosh, I am having a blank here. I'm going to get back to that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> happens
0: um, to me all the time.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Yes, uh, it will come back. But look at the fees in the funds. That's the number one thing. And look at your allocation strategy. So do you want to be invested mostly in U.S. funds? Do you want to be invested in some international funds? Do you want to be invested in certain sectors? So take a look and make sure the allocation kind of matches up with what you're trying to do. Um, and I will also say I have some good videos and resources on, um, Instagram too, that you can kind of take a peek at.
0: Okay. So then if we're not doing a 401k and we're doing our own investments, also take a look at those once a year. Yes. Again, at the fees. And then when would you sell an ETF or a stock?
1: I would really only sell if you are, one, using the money for, like, a big purchase. Like, let's say you took five years to invest for the down payment, maybe for, like, a home or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then you would go ahead and sell. Um, Okay. Likely when you retire, you probably won't be selling a whole lot of your funds. Um, The goal is to have enough invested that you're really just living off of the appreciation and dividends that um, your kind of lump sum is creating.
0: Okay. And then if you're going to invest more money, let's say I open up my TD Ameritrade and I see all of my ETFs and stocks or whatever how do I know which ones when I'm investing consistently to put more money into?
1: I would say it depends on your strategy. So okay. um you know I like a kind of like a three-prong strategy where you're really just it keeps it super simple. If somebody's just starting out, you you can do more research on this. Um, but really tracking something that tracks US funds, tracks some uh buy something that's tracking international funds and then buy something maybe that's tracking a small, you know, put a small portion in some bonds or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But keep it really simple to start.
0: Okay. So just kind of diversify into those three buckets. Yes. And then just keep adding to those three. Yes. Okay. That seems very simple. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like a very pro 401k.
1: Yes, I am.
0: Okay, good. I My dad, um, I don't, I work for myself now, so I'm not buying into a 401k anymore. But when I I used to be a teacher and it was funny because I couldn't buy into it until a year, I think, into my teaching career. Yep. Uh, but my dad, every time we would talk on the phone would say, have you in- gotten into the 401k? Yet? Have you invested? <laughs> and I would remind him, I have only been here for four months. Can't do it I'm yet. I'm getting yeah. in there. I'm getting in I there. I just have to make a full year. But he, <laughs> I think he would have disowned me if I eventually did not invest in the 401k. He was so worried about it. So I did. And then do you always advise investing as much as you can to, if your company matches. Yes.
1: Yeah. Definitely invest at least up to the match. You know, I hear a lot of people say, Oh, it's free money. And it's not really free. It is built into your, you know, generally it's built into your compensation plan, those Mm. matches. So go ahead and make sure you're um, investing at minimum up to the, up to the match, if not more, if you, if you can.
0: Okay. What about outside of your 401k if you're wanting to invest more? How about a Roth IRA? Is that something worth investing in?
1: Yeah. Roth is a great option um, because on a Roth you're paying your taxes up front. Hmm. So that means when you withdraw the money, you know, after you're 65 or later down the road, you're going to be withdrawing that at tax free. And what do we know about taxes? Right, they rarely go down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, it could happen. You, nobody has a crystal ball around here, but taxes rarely go down. So, um, being having the benefit of being able to pay pre kind of prepay those taxes on that money is great. So, if you have the option um, to invest in into a Roth IRA, I would definitely recommend that.
0: Is that something that you can start at any age, or is that better to start younger?
1: You can start that at any age. Oh, okay. um, there are some income um, for high earners. Make sure you're always looking at um, or talking to your CPA, You know, check, checking in on that. There are some limits for high earners. But yes, you can start that at any age.
0: Okay. What about, uh, I mentioned ETFs or individual stocks. Do you have a preference when it comes to those or it just kind of depends on the person?
1: Yeah, I would definitely start with, you know, like an index fund. It's going to be kind of pre-diversified. It's a low cost fund. Um, Start there. You can see, um, you know, on no matter what your investing platform is, you'll be able to see what companies are held within that index fund. And so make sure they're companies you know. You know, Mm -hmm. um, pick something that has companies that you know and love, like maybe it's Apple, maybe it's Google, maybe it's Coca-Cola, whatever it is, take a peek at those. And if you recognize some of those and you feel comfortable with that, you can be like, okay, this is a great place to start. Um, I also like invest, if you're into investing in in individual stocks, you can certainly do that as well. I, I do that in a smaller portion of my portfolio. I don't make it my whole um, my whole portfolio, but I do have a small portion where, um, if there's a company that I, maybe I use, I use the product and I'm like, okay, that I love this product. Like this is going to be around for a long time. I know exactly how this company makes money and I feel really confident about that. Maybe I'll, I'll buy it within that fund. Mm
0: -hmm. It can also justify, you know, if you choose to invest in Starbucks or something, justify you. There you
1: go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: I know my cousin did that in high school. She her dad wanted her to get started investing. So she invested in Starbucks. And then anytime he would say she shouldn't go, she would say, No, I'm actually doing this I'm, for my own good.
1: Yeah. I am <laughs> creating more revenue. I think a yeah. lot of people do that with, you know, Apple too and some of the, right. the higher priced ones there.
0: Whatever you gotta do, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Justify your spending. Um, REITs are something I don't know. I just learned about those recently, but do you advise? I don't even know what those stand for. Is that real estate something?
1: Yes, yeah, so REITs are going to be funds that t- track different uh kind of groups of real estate. So let's say there's a company and they have um a number of uh like shopping plazas for example. And the rents on those shopping plazas would then be kind of kind of like your dividends. That's where the returns come from, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So there are a number of different REITs that work in a variety of different ways. Um... I don't personally invest in REITs, but they are a great way if you want to diversify into real estate. Maybe if you're in a location like a high cost of living area where you can't buy real estate or you're not in a position to do that, um, but you still want to feel like you're having a little bit of the real estate pie, so to speak, REITs are a good way to do that. and There are some newer companies coming out. I want to say Fundrise is one of them, you can look and they kind of do a little bit more of the research for you. So hmm. you can always look at, look at that. I'm sure there's a little bit of a fee there, but um, might make them a little bit like easier to choose. Okay. Yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on keeping money in a savings account versus investing? Should we be keeping a certain amount of emergency fund money in a savings account or are you more pro invest it all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I definitely think you have to have some cash on hand. You have to have an emergency fund. Um, speaking from my own personal experience, I mean, we talked about my me being here in New Orleans. Um, we've been through two major hurricanes mm. since I've been here. And I am so grateful that I did have an emergency fund because we needed – that money in both times for repairs and for expenses related to that and so definitely make sure you have an emergency fund my kind of rule of thumb on that is three to six months unless you maybe have really variable income you might want more if you have um, children or something like that you may want a little bit more um, and make sure that your emergency fund can at least cover any insurance deductibles that you have. So if your health insurance or auto insurance or home insurance is, let's call it $5,000, you want to make sure you at least have that. Because if an emergency happens and you need to make a claim, you want to make sure you have that money on hand.
0: Oh, okay. That yep. That's smart. I've never heard any type of financial coach say that. Maybe they do, but that's. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah. I know a lot of people kind of get into the MLM world, the multi-level marketing, to maybe try to make money on the side through, I don't know, there's so many of them out there, like Beauty Counter, the makeup one, and I don't know, there's a million.
1: <laughs> but I know, I always think of like Tupperware. <laughs> oh yeah, Tupperware was,
0: or there, yeah, there used to be some Pampered Chef, I think. It yeah, was like the basket they, ones.
1: They actually had some good stuff. I
0: kind yeah, of like. They did. <laughs> Are they still around? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't know if they're still around, but I feel like I have a few kitchen items. So I'm like, I, I yeah. use this all the time.
0: Totally, I think my mom has some. They seem high quality and great. Yeah. But, uh what. Is your advice on that? If somebody's thinking, Oh, I should do this to make some kind of passive income on the side, are those fruitful generally for the person doing the selling, or would you say that's not the best way to make more income?
1: Data-wise, data there actually has been some really um, some really great recent studies done, and the data says that 99% of participants do not make money. Now they may make sales, but when you account for their purchases, how much they sometimes um, a lot of these MLMs will make you purchase upfront. Or will make you purchase the product. So when you account for all the product that you have to purchase, you're not selling enough really to to cover all of your costs. And if um, you haven't already, there is a new documentary. It's called Lulu Rich, and I want to say it was on Amazon, but I watched that recently, and that was a very enlightening experience mm. to the multi level marketing world.
0: Oh, I love a good documentary.
1: Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good rainy day. It was raining here the other day. I was like, "Ooh, I know what I'm going to put on." <laughs>
0: oh, that's a, I won't I won't wait for it to rain here cuz in California that Oh happen. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on on a sunny day sometime. Uh, but no, that's that's good to know um for anybody listening if they may have been considering that or if they're in one right now, maybe they're thinking I'd be better off just kind of going the investment route or.
1: Yeah. And there are so many different ways to make money on this side um, that you might actually enjoy a little bit more. Um, Maybe it's dog walking. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's um, whatever craft you can create selling that if you like to bake, baking bread or something and, you know, taking it to neighbors or just family and friends. I mean, there are so many different things that you can do. You can rent out a room in your house. You can rent out your car these days. You can rent out a parking spot. Um, a lot of people will do grocery shopping, you know, the, um, like an Instacart. Oh
0: yeah. Like task. Yeah.
1: I mean, there are just so many different ways that, um, even Uber and Lyft that you can make a little bit, a couple extra hundred dollars on the side without having, you know, such an upfront commitment and sometimes some of the strings attached on those MLMs. And I think unfortunately they really do, um, you know, almost prey on, you know, a lot of women who are short on time and who are looking to make a little extra money for, you know, their children or just for themselves. And, um, totally, they can kind of get wrapped up in that, so explore the other options before you go that route.
0: Yeah, what are your thoughts on credit cards? Are you pro credit card or anti?
1: I am, I know a lot of financial experts are like very anti credit card. Um, personally, I love credit cards, I love rewards. Um, you can utilize sometimes leverage really to your advantage, however. You have to make sure you have that self-control. You have to make sure you have that awareness. You want to make sure that you are spending intentionally on them, that you're not just spending for the points, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or kind of making that excuse. You want to make sure that you're not paying the fees. So, you know, flip the script on the bank. The bank's trying to get you to, you know, pay the interest. They're trying to get you to pay the fees, You know, flip the script. Try to take advantage of all of the free offers that they're doing and make sure you pay that off every month so that you are not, you know, paying that interest over and over.
0: I've always talking about mindset stuff, just when I first got a credit card, I just started using it as if it was my debit card. So I would just think I'm never ever gonna spend More than what's in my account, so that I can just pay it off in full every month. And that's just always been in my mind. I just think of it like it's my debit card. Exactly. But then I reap, like you said, all the awards of travel points and that, you know, we get so many free flights through credit cards or Amazon money or whatever credit card you have.
1: Oh, I have that Amazon card and I use it. We have a Whole Foods right by the house and you get the free shipping on groceries and it is just in 5% back. It's, it's one of my favorites. <laughs>
0: totally. Literally free money as long as you're paying it off and you're not going yep. to credit card debt and you're not paying all the interest and everything. It's just, you know, so fun to kind of gamify your bank account when you log right. in and my husband's always saying, "Do you have any points?" and we try to yeah. transfer for them and <laughs> we combine them and it's it's like this fun little game to play.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there are some great um kind of like travel hackers and credit card mm-hmm. points, gurus that you can follow. I'm certainly, I kind of got the basics down, but I'm certainly not any sort of an expert on that particular subject, but definitely go and search for them because the deals that people come up with are just crazy.
0: It, no, seriously. I forget the one that we followed for a while when we were traveling a lot more pre-COVID, but yeah, incredible. And when they put on your radar uh, I think we we both got our Chase Sapphire cards when it was 100,000
1: oh, miles awesome. or
0: something, and you yep. also got free global entry and priority pass. I mean, you got all these perks, and we, I think, went to Europe. I, I think our flights were free one trip we took to Europe. I mean, it was just incredible. So yeah. I also am a huge fan, so I'm happy to hear you say that.
1: <laughs> yes, I totally agree, and I could not. Um, I, I, yeah, I know it's a very conservative. I think it's just an older conservative approach to be like, I don't want to use a credit card. Mm-hmm. I mean, to each their own. Um, but I think if you have, if you're underlying, you know, financial habits are good. If you're tracking your spending, if you're spending intentionally, then why not get the points? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. What are some of the biggest mistakes you'd say your clients are making before they start working with you?
1: That's a good question. Let me think. Um, Well, definitely not paying attention to fees. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge one. I would say even just like friends and family, that's like my – Number one thing when they're like asking me to review their portfolio, I'm like, do you know what your fees are? Of course, everybody says no. (laughs) So I'm like, let's go in there and check it out. And they are called an expense ratio on your um, statement. So if you look at it, that's what it is. Um, And really you want to look for anything higher than 0.3 is kind of going to be considered a little bit high. So try to keep them under that. Okay. Um, So that's definitely something to look for. And I think the other biggest mistake I see, and I just talked with a client about this over the weekend, is making a goal because you maybe like, quote unquote, think you should. Mm. So for example, in this particular case, this person, this woman was thinking, you know, I think I should buy a home well, why do you want to buy a home? <laughs> I don't really know. I just feel like I should because I'm of a certain age and because, um, everybody talks about homeownership, but you know, when we talked about it a little bit more, it actually was not the right move for her. Mm. And so things like that. So, um, making a goal just because everybody else is making a goal or because your parents are telling you to make that goal or your friends are telling you to make that goal. Um, you know, make the goals for you. And if they're different than what you're seeing, it's okay. It's okay to be different. We're all going to be yeah. a little bit different. Um, okay, other mistakes. Let me think. Oh, and then I would say we kind of touched on it already, but not having an emergency fund mm. so, or not having enough in emergencies because that can really set you back. I
0: love that you say that about buying a home because I currently don't own property and I remember there was a New York Times article a few years ago that had this great calculator in it that would have you put in all this information. It would tell you financially whether it was better for you to buy or rent. Yeah. And it was pretty fascinating how I think they just were saying a lot of people would be better off renting based on where they live and their different you know financial inputs that they were putting in there. Um, but I think maybe that's also kind of an old school belief of we have to own property to accrue wealth and there's all these ways that you just mentioned how you can amass wealth over the years and it doesn't necessarily have to be owning property and there's also so much money that comes that you have to put into a home right because it starts
1: oh my gosh I'm airing down (laughs) yeah I've I've purchased uh, multiple homes. And so I've, I've definitely run the gamut of home ownership. And it, it's not, you know, I always tell people, you know, even rental homes, I know are a big attraction for a lot of people, we want to get all the rental homes. You know, you can either pay for a property manager, you have to do it yourself. So either way, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, things do break down if you're at a place, you know, like we are here where you're getting a lot of natural disasters. That's always going to be an expense every year when you are renting, you know, you don't have to worry about any of that.
0: Yeah, and just for sure, un uh, natural disasters, unforeseen costs. In our former apartment we rented, we had this huge mold situation Ugh. that was thousands of dollars for the landlord to pay for. Um, you know, things are just always going to break down. You're gonna have water damage. There's all sorts of things that can happen. So not to say that, nobody should buy, right? For some people, I'm sure it makes sense, but it's not like you said that it has to be something you do at a certain age.
1: Yeah. And I would also say, you know, my also first question to anybody who is like, oh, I want a rental home is like, do you love real estate? Mm. You know, do you really (laughs) love it? And if somebody – Is like, I don't know, I think it's okay. Then it's like, all right, it's probably not for you because if you really love it, then go after it. It's going to be a fun adventure for you. But if you don't really love it, then maybe that's not the right investment. Maybe, um, and there's lots of alternative investments. I mean, I've talked to people who have invested in art or Mm. in, you know, buying and selling of collectibles or, Um, you know, there's a lot of cryptocurrency action there. I wouldn't put all of your funds there, but if you wanted kind of a a space for alternative investments, there's plenty to choose from. Yeah. Do something that aligns with what you like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I love that. Do you have any kind of budgeting tips that you would share if somebody feels like they have an issue in that arena?
1: Yeah, I'm not one for a very, um rigid budget. My kind of view on budgets is definitely like you want to have something, you want to have a plan in place, but you also want the plan to be able to change as you change Mm -hmm. because as your life goes on, you're going to have different priorities. Your income situation is going to change. So never make something so rigid that can't be changed. So sometimes that's kind of number one where people fail with budgets because they make this really rigid budget. They, you know, spend too much, and then they're discouraged at the end of the month, and then they just don't want to do it again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So overall, make it flexible. I would say put in a buffer. So especially for some of those variable expenses, if you're kind of listing out some of your expenses, making sure that you put in, I like to do like a 10% buffer. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're looking to cut expenses um, or if you're – you know, trying to balance and you're like, oh boy, you know, I've put in too much (laughs) and I don't make enough. You know, one, definitely look at different ways that you can bring in more income if you don't want to change anything about your current lifestyle. Or two, you know, start with the big stuff. So look at housing and look at your insurance, look at your car payment. What different things can you do to really cut out a lot of that? Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday who mentioned, you know, we went down from a two-car household to a one-car household Mm. and saved $400 a month on an auto payment and insurance and saved, you know, even more than that on taxes. And that was enough for us to, you know, use to pay down debt or use to pay something else towards your other goals. So start with those big expenses first, because a lot of times if you make kind of like one big change, that'll give you a little bit. The wiggle room that you might be looking for.
0: Right. Well, the final question I ask, and it's based on the title of this podcast, and I like to use actually a lot of money analogies with health as well. So yes. <laughs> the question is, in, what, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? And you can take it however you want, if you want to relate it to money or something else. But what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. And one thing I always like to stress with people is that you know, money isn't everything. <laughs> you know, what is the use of making more and investing to earn more if you do not enjoy it? You do have to enjoy it and to enjoy it, you do have to be healthy. You have to be mentally healthy. you have to be physically healthy. For me in my personal personal finance journey, um, I didn't really start, even though I knew I've been doing this for a long time for other people, I didn't really start taking my own personal, finance journey seriously until I kind of got mentally okay Hmm. in a place where I was like really good mentally and in a place where I was really good physically. Like my first two investments in myself were therapy and a personal Mm -hmm. trainer. (laughs) And Strangely enough, after I made those two investments, like everything else just blew up and everything else fit into place. So it's so strange how that how that happens. Um, So I think that's that would be, you know, a really great example of kind of making that health investment. And even from like a more practical standpoint, if we want to turn it that way, you know, um, investing in your health now, you know, retirement age. Everybody says the biggest expenses, or at least the third biggest expense, is going to be healthcare. It's going to be insurance. And the more that we can take care of ourselves now, the more we can lower some of those risks in the future and really enjoy all of the funds that you're working so hard to build.
0: Right. I mean, it just makes so much sense. You were saying keep your money there for, what, 10, 20, 30 years, and then you can reap the benefits later. But what if all of that money ends up just going to pay for doctor visits and medications you exactly. know it's not just set it and forget it with your health either it's it's you got to consistently all these things that you were talking about of start early be consistent the same things go for your physical your mental health as well
1: yeah i 100% agree that preventative care goes a long way yeah yeah you know
0: Well, I'm so grateful for you being here today and sharing all of your wisdom with us. Where can listeners follow and find you?
1: Sure. So um, I post a lot of free content. Um, It's all on my Instagram page. So it's at holistic.personal.finance. You can check out the link in the bio there um, for information about one-on-one coaching. I have a, a small mini course that's out. And um, I have a couple of other free uh, resources that I recommend there too.
0: Oh, great. I always love when it's like a one-stop shop.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's (laughs) easy. All the things are there, all the things. (laughs) Well, I'll
0: link up your Instagram (laughs) handle in the show notes. And again, just really appreciate you being here today, Genevieve. And I look forward to taking advantage of your resources and staying connected with you off air.
1: Yeah, same here. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice